must be food to be obtained. Or they gave me plenty to eat when I came in, he said, but I will buy something for supper. No, I do not want money. I have plenty of lead left. You had better take a couple of rupees, anyhow. There are sure to be some traders from India who have opened shops here, and they won't care to take lead in payment. You must get some fresh muslin for your turban, and you'd better close it up at the top this time. It will go better with your clothes. Minot grinned. I shall look quite like a person of importance. I shall be taken for at least the headman of a large village. He took the two rupees and walked off toward town, while Stanley went in to luncheon. There were a good many remarks as to his altered appearance. Do you know, Brooke, one of the young lieutenants said, I did not feel at all sure that Cook was not humbugging us when he introduced you to us, and that you were not really a Burman who had travelled and had somehow learned to speak English extraordinarily well. Clothes and soap and water make a wonderful difference, Stanley laughed, but I shall be a good many shades lighter when the rest of the dye wears off. At any rate, I can go about now without anyone staring at me. After Tiffin, Stanley had to tell his story again at a very much greater length than before. "'You certainly have gone through some queer adventures,' the Major said, when he had finished his relation. "'And there is no doubt that you have had wonderful luck. In the first place, if that bullet had gone half an inch lower, you would not have been one of the four white survivors of that ugly business at Ramu. Then you were lucky that they did not chop off your head, either when they first took you, or when they got you to Ava.' Then again, it was lucky that Bandula sent a special message that he wanted you kept as an interpreter for himself, and that the official in charge of you turned out to be a decent fellow, and aided you to make your escape. As to your obtaining the services of the man you brought down with you, I do not regard that as a question of luck. You saved the man's life by an act of the greatest bravery, one that not one man in ten would perform, or try to perform, for the life of a total stranger. I hope that I should have made the effort, had I been in your place, but— I say frankly that I am by no means sure that I should have done so. The betting was a good twenty to one against its being done successfully. If the brute had heard your footstep, it would have been certain death, and even when you reached him the chances were strongly against your being able to strike a blow at the animal that would, for a moment, disable him, and so give you time to snatch up one of the guns, which might not, after all, have been loaded. It was a wonderfully gallant action, lad. You did not tell us very much about it yourself, but— while you were getting the dye off, I got hold of one of the traders here, who happened to be passing, and who understood their language, and with his assistance I questioned your fellow, and got all the particulars from him. I say again, it was as plucky a thing as I have ever heard of. A few minutes later, an orderly came in with a note from the general, asking the Major and Captain Cook also to dine with him that evening. Stanley was very pleased that two officers were going with him, as it took away the feeling of shyness he felt at the thought of presenting himself in staff uniform at the general's. Sir Archibald Campbell put him at ease at once, by the kindness with which he received him. Stanley began to apologize for his dress, but the general stopped him at once. "'I intended, of course, that you should wear it, Mr. Brooke. I am sure that you would not find a dress suit in the camp. However, we'll make matters all right tomorrow. Judging from what you said, as you cannot join your uncle at present, you'd be willing to remain here. Your name will appear in orders tomorrow morning, as being granted a commission in the eighty-ninth, pending the arrival of confirmation from home.' which, of course, in such a case is a mere form. You will also appear in the orders as being appointed my aide-de-camp in place of Mr. Hitchcock, with extra pay as interpreter. No, 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 do not thank me. Having served as a volunteer, taken part in a severe action, and having been wounded and imprisoned, you had almost a right to a commission. After dinner I hope that you will give us a full account of your adventures. It was but a very slight sketch that I heard from you this morning. The General then introduced Stanley to the other members of his staff. "'If you had seen him as I saw him this morning,' the general said with a smile, "'you certainly would not recognize him now. 
He was naked to the waist, and had nothing on but the usual peasant attire of a piece of black cloth reaching to his knees. I knew, of course, that the question of costume would soon be got over, but I own that I did not think that I should be able to employ him for some little time. Not only was his stain a great deal darker than it is now, but he was thickly tattooed up to the eyes, and one could hardly be sending messages by an aide-de-camp so singular in appearance. But I see that somehow he has entirely gotten rid of the tattoo marks, and his skin is now very little, if at all, darker than that of many of us, so that I shall be able to put him in harness at once. After dinner was over and cigars lighted, Stanley told his story as before, passing over lightly the matter in which he had gained the friendship of the Burman. When he had finished, however, Major Pemberton said, "'With your permission, General, I will supplement the story a little. Mr. Brooke has told me somewhat more than he has told you, but I gained the whole fact from his guide's own lips.' "'No, Major, please,' Stanley said, colouring even under his dye. "'The matter is not worth telling.' "'You must permit us to be a judge of that, Mr. Brooke,' the General said, with a smile, at the young fellow's interruption of his superior officer. Oh, "'I beg your pardon, Major Pemberton,' Stanley stammered in some confusion, only—' Only you would rather that I did not tell about your struggle with the leopard. I think it ought to be told, and I am pretty sure Sir Archibald Campbell will agree with me. And Major Pemberton then gave a full account of the adventure in the forest. Thank you, Major. You were certainly quite right in telling the story, for it's one that ought to be told, and if Mr. Brooke will forgive my saying so, it's one of those cases in which it's a mistake for a man to try to hide his light under a bushel. You see, it cannot but make a difference in the estimation in which we hold you. Most young fellows would, as you did, have joined their countrymen when threatened by a greatly superior enemy, and again most would, if prisoners, have taken an opportunity that offered to effect their escape. Therefore, in the brief account that you gave me, this morning it appeared to me that you had behaved pluckily and shrewdly, and had very well earned a commission, especially as you have a knowledge of the language. You simply told me that you had been able to render some service to the Burman who travelled down with you, but such service might have been merely that you assisted him when he was in want bound up a wound, or any other small matter. Now we find that you performed an act of singular courage, an act that even the oldest shikari would have reason to be proud of. Such an act, performed too for a stranger, and that stranger an enemy, would of itself give any man a title to the esteem and regard of any among whom he might be thrown, and would lead them to regard him in an entirely different light to that in which they would otherwise have held him. I think that you will all agree with me, gentlemen. Certainly. There was a chorus of assent from the circle of officers. His narrative had, as the general said, shown that the young fellow was possessed of coolness, steadiness, and pluck. But this feat was altogether out of the common, and, as performed by a mere lad, seemed little short of marvellous. "'You will, of course, have Kitchcock's quarters,' the quartermaster-general said to Stanley, as the party broke up. "'It's a small room, but it has the advantage of being watertight, which is more than one can say of most of our quarters.' It's a room in the upper story of the next house. I fancy the poor fellow's cards on the door still. The commissariat officers are in the lower part of the house, and they occupy all the other rooms upstairs, but we keep this for one of the aides-de-camp, so that the general could send a message at once, night or day. Of course I shall want a horse, sir. Yes, yes, you must have a horse. I will think over what we can do for you in that way. There's no buying one here unless a field officer is killed or dies. Oh, by the way— Hitchcock's horses are not sold yet. They were not put up yesterday. I have no doubt that some arrangement can be made about them, and the saddlery. Oh, that would be excellent, sir. As I told the general this morning, I have some rubies and other stones. I have no idea what they're worth. They were given me by those men I was with in the forest. They said that they were very difficult to dispose of, as the mines are monopoly of the government. So when my man Minock proposed it, they acceded at once to his request, and handed a number of them over to me. I've not even looked at them. 
There may be someone here who could tell me what they're worth. Yes, I have no doubt some of these Parsee merchants who have lately set up stores could tell you. I should only take down two or three stones to them if I were you. If they are really valuable, you might be robbed of them. But I am rather afraid that you will not find that they are so. Brigand fellows will hardly have been likely to give you anything very valuable. Oh, I don't think they looked at them themselves. They were the proceeds of one day's attack on a number of merchants. They found them concealed on the merchants, and they were so well established, satisfied with the loot they got, in merchandise that they could dispose of, that I doubt whether they even opened the little packages of what they considered the most dangerous goods to keep, for if they were captured and gems found upon them, it would be sufficient to condemn them at once. Do you speak Hindustani? If not, I'll send one of the clerks with you. Yes, sir, and three or four other of the Indian languages. Ah, then you can manage for yourself. When you've seen one of these Parsees, come round to my office. I'll have seen the paymaster by that time, and have talked over with him how we can arrange about the horses. I should think that the best way would be to have a committee of three officers to value them, and the saddlery, and then you might authorize him to receive your extra pay as interpreter, and to place it to Hitchcock's account. You'll find your own staff pay more than ample here, as there are no expenses whatever, except your share of the mess. Thank you very much indeed, Colonel. In the morning Stanley took one of the little parcels from the bag and opened it. It contained thirty stones, of which twenty were rubies, six sapphires,